Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 30th, we are studying Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. The prophet begins to detail specific sins of his people, and the guilt extends even to the women of Israel. We'll see how Amos uses biting sarcasm and satire in an attempt to bring the people of God to repentance. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Ned Murby. Pastor Murby serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Pastor Murby, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Pastor Apple, and good morning to your guests as well. Pastor Murby, as we get started this morning looking at Amos chapter 4, help us out with a, a bit of context. What should we know about Amos as a whole, the preceding chapters, Scripture in general, that's going to help us dig into these verses this morning? Well, Amos is one of the, the minor prophets. Of, of course, that doesn't mean he's not important. It just means that he wrote a shorter book than prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel. Um, and he is a prophet that has come to call God's people to repentance, um, especially the northern kingdom, uh, the, the ten tribes that broke away from, from the house of David um, and Early on, I know if, if your listeners have been following this series, they've, they've heard Amos you know, call out the nations um, in, in the first chapter, so uh, the neighbors of, of Judah and Israel. But then he, he turns his attention uh, briefly to Judah, and then halfway through chapter 2, he, he announces God's judgment on Israel. In chapter 3, he has been listing the, the various ways that that Israel stands guilty before God. And, and now, as you said in the introduction, he takes up this, this sarcasm and he really lays it on, on the people. Um, it, it's a very heavy text of law, um, but there's, there's quite a bit of difficulty as, as we look at this text. Um, you know, as, as Lutherans, one of the things that we confess about Holy Scripture, about God's Word, is that it is clear. Um, and, and this text perhaps could test our, our faith on whether or not we really um, believe that. We, we need to understand when we say that Scripture is clear, we are saying that you, you don't need to have some secret knowledge like the Gnostics taught to be able to get to the true meaning of it. Um, you know, the Bible is not uh, a cryptic book that you need some code in order to, to crack it and, and figure out what um, what it's really saying. But that doesn't mean that we always, you know, over time, keep the vocabulary straight. You know, especially looking at the Old Testament written over so many centuries, you know, the, the Hebrew varies from book to book. And, and Amos uses some words here that seem to be used differently than they're used elsewhere. 
and and so we have this image of of cows that we'll get to um but then so much more of the text there's a lot of well is is Amos really saying this or that and um you know Dr. Lessing who who wrote his commentary on Amos um it it's kind of fun reading his textual notes because often you it's it's surprising how often the words probably or we should most likely um, come up when we're looking at texts like this to understand the Hebrew poetry. Um, There are questions about the text, and yet the message behind it is clear. Um, God is renouncing the Israelites for their sin. We can identify those sins um, from Amos' words, but there are also ways, if we really dig into it, where we can see how the condemnation announced here is connected to some of the sins that, that Amos has already renounced and prepares us for some of what will follow later in the book, especially as we trudge our way through all the law and condemnation. You know, This is setting us up to, to hear the gospel that Amos will apply you know, so sweetly at the end of the book. But for us today, it's, it's a very heavy passage looking at um, God's condemnation on sin, something that we should take very seriously and perhaps we don't always take as seriously as we should. That's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. And just to, to tie in with what you're saying about the clarity of Scripture, that it is a clear book, I think what, what you're saying is we may not always know what every detail is or what every reference Amos makes. So if if we're not exactly sure why he says cows of Bashan, for example, or what he's talking about when you shall go out through the breaches, we may not nail down the specific detail, but we can get the overall picture. And, And I think even more importantly, we would say that as we read it, we know what the center of Scripture is, because Jesus has told us that all of these Scriptures give us life because they are about Him. And, and specifically, they're, they're given so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in His name to the whole world. And so when we keep that center of Scripture in mind, the clarity of Scripture follows behind it, and we can put a text like Amos 4, verses 1 through 5, into that context so that even if we don't get every single detail, we're going to know generally what to do with it. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying, Pastor Murphy? Exactly. And, and this ties in then with another attribute of Scripture, that, that Scripture is sufficient. Um, it doesn't answer all of our questions, but it tells us what we need to know for salvation. And, and in the same way, there may be things that because we don't speak Hebrew the way Amos did, that we don't fully get his picture, um, God has preserved his word so that we get it sufficiently to get that message of of law and gospel. Okay, so with that then, we're going to hear some words of law primarily here in Amos chapter 4. We'll go ahead and read the text. Again, we're in Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. 
and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings, publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. So, Pastor Murphy, there's the text before us. And, and I think before we start digging into individual details, I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on the genre that Amos uses here, this matter of satire and and sarcasm. I mean, this this text is is to be taken with that that sense of he doesn't mean well he means what he says but there's there's that satire that sarcasm there what what are we to to do with that here pastor murby well i in, in, to begin with amos is is using poetry here which itself you know is it tends to be rich with imagery especially the the way hebrews write poetry you know rhyming isn't that important but um these images, you know, play with our, our imagination, and it, it brings out just how ridiculous the the sin of God's people is. You know how, how they have turned on Him. It 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 highlights the foolishness of of turning away from God, of rejecting His word, um, and and it. It, 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 it's used to get the people's attention. You know, if he were to just stand up there and say, you know, you people of Samaria, you've sinned, you know, repent, return to the Lord, they would just say, well, we've, we've heard that. You know, other prophets have said the same thing. But, but this is a time in Israel's history where, from a secular perspective, everything is going well. It, it, it's, it's kind of the golden age of the northern kingdom, Um Economically, they're prospering. You know, they're they're not being oppressed by their neighbors that much right now. You know, Samaria and, and Syria, the the kingdom to the north of them, you know, had fighting going on. You know, constantly it seemed. But this is a time when when Israel is is doing pretty good. Um, and so rather than just come in and say, okay, you think everything's going well, but you're sinning, so stop and getting kind of laughed out. Amos picks up, you know, th this satire, like, oh, yeah, you, you think, you know, you're doing so good, I'll, I'll show you what, what God really has in store for you. And um, we, we know from later in the book that, that Amos isn't received well, as, as so many of God's prophets, you know, have to deal with um, rejection. But I, I think these words at least get the people's attention, um, even if it doesn't get them to, to rend their hearts and, and return to the Lord. Yeah, the uh, bringing out the ridiculousness, the foolishness of what they're doing, and to to grab their attention, to wake them up from from as you said that that historical context is very important. On the surface, everything looks wonderful in the kingdom of Israel. Economically, it's a great time. Politically, it's a pretty stable time. Religiously, things look pretty good. Amos needs to do something to come along to wake these people up. And so he uses this satire and sarcasm here and in other places in the book in an attempt to do that. And so we see that already in verse 1, where Amos says he wants the cows of Bashan to listen to him. 
and and it becomes apparent as you continue to read in verse one that these cows of Bashan are are some wives who've been telling their husbands, bring us more to drink. Pastor Murphy, with that understanding that we may not be able to nail down every detail precisely, what's going on here in verse one? Well, again, this is the the shock factor right up front. Um, you know, Amos is is calling these women out for um, their own self interest. They're they're ignoring others. You know, the the cows of of Bashan were, you know, the they were the Kobe beef of their day. You know, Bashan is this fertile plain on on the northeastern edge of of Israel. Um, it was known for its livestock, for for the fertile um, feeding grounds and, and and breeding grounds, and you know, so so this is on Samaria itself isn't in Bashan, but but they know where this is. They they're they're probably telling their husbands, you know, we want that good, you know, beef from Bashan, and you know, not not this stuff, you know, grown on the the drier, more arid side of of the uh, um, of the Sea of Galilee. You know, we we want the, the high quality stuff, but here Amos comes and says, "No, you know, you, you're the cows of Bashan. You, you're the ones just, you know, feeding yourselves, making yourselves fat, um, and you know, you, you can tell where people would be, you know, offended and shocked by by that kind of language." And and he wants to do that, right? I mean, that's that's what we've been saying by calling these these women the cows of Bashan. He's attempting to wake them up, right? I mean, that that's the whole point. Yes, you know, th- this is an attention-getting device, um, and it's it's not one to win over his hearers. Um, you, you know, this this is a. a kind of persuasive speech, but it, it's not one done in a friendly environment. It, it's not one that Amos, or the Lord for that matter, uh, seems to expect or, or even necessarily intends to sway the mind of of his hearers. He, he's simply laying the charge before them. Your, your greed, your covetousness, you know, it, it's overwhelming and you're gonna you're gonna pay the cost, right? Right. I I think just to to add a little more cultural context to these this term cows of Bashan, as you said, the, these would have been very um, uh, these are the the cattle that would have been the best fed, the the fattiest of meat that you would have eaten, and, and so you know to to compare the women of Israel, the the rich, the high society, to the cows of Bashan, is intended by Amos as offensive, but I, I would like to say too, though, that that in ancient society, to have extra weight, what what we what we might say today, to be fat, was not looked upon as a bad thing. It was actually seen as a a status symbol. If you if you had a lot of weight, that meant you could afford to eat well. And so the the cows of Bashan, the literal cows of Bashan, they ate well. These women of Israel ate well. And again, they would have seen that as a, a status symbol. Look, we we can afford to eat well. But Amos turns that on its head here because he tells them why they're able to eat well. And the reason they're able to eat well is because they're oppressing the poor, they're crushing the needy, they're saying to their husbands, bring us more alcohol so that we can 
we can continue to drink. And Pastor Murray, what's what's going on there? What are these women doing that's making themselves fat at the expense of others? Well, they're they've gotten a taste of the good life, and you know they want more and more. You know, and and, and that's part of our our fallen nature, I think. To um, you know, as we as we're turned in on ourselves, we we find something enjoyable. We we want to to have more of that experience. And th- these women, you know, they're looking out to their own self interest. They're um, they're telling their husbands, you know, you need to to go out and make more money. You know, buy us these things. You know, keep us fed and satisfied and and happy. You know, th- th- this is probably uh, meant to bring up images of, you know, fancy dinner parties, you know, carousing all night, you know, having good times. But somebody has to pay the price for that. And and it seems in Amos Day, you know, these women aren't thinking, well, for my husbands to make money to, to, to do for me what I want done for me, they're, they're cheating people in the marketplace um, they're they're making the poor work harder. You know, you know they're they're running their their laborers into the ground without you know paying them a livable wage. And, and these are all things that that over and over again in the prophets we see God's people called out for. Um, you know, all, all the way back to, to Exodus as as God gives the law, the people of God are supposed to care for the poor. You know, we, we see this down to the, the, the laws about leaving the gleanings in the field. You know, don't, don't harvest your, your field right up to the edge, but, um, and, and don't go back over it a second time, but leave that so that the poor and the orphans, the widows, the, the sojourners, they can come and have something to eat. You know, we, we see that played out then in the life of, of Ruth. Um, when she comes back with her mother-in-law or not comes back, but when she comes with her mother-in-law, who who comes back um, to the Bethlehem area after sojourning in Moab for a while, and God wants us to 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 take care of everyone. You know, provide opportunities for everyone to to be satisfied. But these women are looking only to themselves. And 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 you're you're right. You know, in in this day and age, having a little weight meant that. For one, you could afford to eat well, and and along with that meant that if lean times came, you were more likely to survive because your your body had, you know, the nutrients in in the fat stored up that y- your body could live off of for a while. But you know, when you make this comparison to the cows of of Bashan, who are bred and raised and fed for the quality of their meat, when they get fat, it's so that they can be led to the slaughter. And Amos is going to come in in a few verses and point out that that's really what's going on. You know, as as these women are are oppressing the poor so that they can fill their own bellies and and delight in, in their rich and extravagant lifestyle, what they're really doing is they are preparing themselves for judgment and slaughter, just as those literal cows of Bashan are are raised in order to be be slaughtered and and sold for the value of their meat. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a a very dark irony that they think they are 
adding to their life in the way that they are doing this. But the Lord comes along and says, no, you're actually preparing yourselves for, for death, not just temporally, but but finally, spiritually, eternally would, would be the, the message that he's getting across. And, and I think, so if, if I'm understanding the way that this is going correctly, Pastor Murphy, it, it sounds like that these wives aren't necessarily oppressing the poor, crushing the needy themselves, but they are accomplices to it. They've gotten this taste of the good life. They want more and more. And so they encourage their husbands to give them more and more, which leads then to the oppression of the poor, the crushing of the needy. Is that kind of how this verse is all holding together? I, I think you're, you're right on. And, and this is, I think, if, if, forgive me if this doesn't make sense, but I think what Amos is doing here is, is giving us a picture of a picture of a picture. Um, and, and the cows of Bashan, the, the literal cattle in the field, are the picture of these wealthy women of Samaria who by their lifestyle are causing hardship to the poor. But that itself becomes a picture for the entire people of Israel and, and how nobody is willing to open up their eyes and see the injustice that is going on. Um, and, and, and so, you know, these five verses aren't just written to, um, the the women of Samaria, and certainly not just the wealthy women of Samaria, but you know, by by connection in the society, it, it's it's to everybody. The the whole nation stands condemned by God at this point. He he's beginning to lay out themes that he's going to address again and again throughout his book, as you said, to to bring the charge against all of the people. And so it, you know, it makes sense that he would address the women here because they are included in this, in this collective sin that the people of Israel have fallen into. And this is something that the Lord takes very seriously. Uh, we have just under four minutes here before the break, Pastor Murphy. And so I'd, I'd like you just to address the very first part of verse two, where it says the Lord God has sworn by his holiness. The Lord, this is a this is an important phrase in, in the Old Testament when the Lord swears by Himself in some way. What's going on here? Well, you know, the Lord has no higher authority to to swear by than Himself. You know, when 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 we take an oath, you know, and say, "As God as my witness," we we are saying that, you know, if if I am lying, you know, let God prove that I'm lying, and if you look at history, when he's proved that people are, are lying or, or not speaking as, as they should, bad things happen to them, you know. Um, it, it's a little bit different of a situation, but you think of Herod when the people are, you know, see him come out in his robes, and they say, oh, you know, this is a God who's come out before us, and because Herod doesn't do anything to say, no, I'm not a God, God you know, causes him to drop dead on the spot, and, you know, it's, it's an ugly death. Um, th that's what we're doing when we say, if you know, with God as my witness, this is what happened. We're saying, if, if I'm lying, you know, let God strike me dead. Let, let God put a plague on me so that you can tell that he is condemning me for my, my lies. But, but God doesn't have, you know, another God to swear by, so he swears by himself. And, and so um, to, for God to swear by his holiness, um, that, that's, you know, his name, his character, who he is. 
you know, much like a man who says, you know, on my honor, I will do this. You know, he, he, his honor is, is his reputation established by what he has done in the past and, you know, laying the way for him to move forward in life, you know, from this point. Um, so he's saying, if, if I don't do what I say, the reputation that I've worked my whole life to, to build will be gone and I'll have nothing positive to build on from here. And, and likewise, God is saying, by my holiness, look at everything I've done for you. Look at me bringing your forefathers out of Egypt. Look at me creating the world. Look at me you know, calling Abraham and, and establishing him among the nations and, and you know, establishing the, the kings and the rulers of, of his people. You know, look at what I did you know, through the prophets like Elijah on Mount Carmel. All of this is, is who I am. And as tr- sure as that is true, what I'm about to tell you is, is true. And, and, and so what, what God says, you know, this isn't, well, I'm thinking about these sorts of things happening. This is what God is saying. Th- these days are coming, and, and it is certain, it is true. You better be prepared because, you know, you're not going to get much warning beyond this. What what a terrible irony that the Lord would swear by His holiness here, as you were saying, to swear by His holiness is to to bring to mind all of those wonderful things, those salvific acts that He worked for His people, and yet here He is swearing by that holiness, not that He is going to save His people, but that days of judgment are going to come upon them. That just as certain as He had saved them in the past, so now He is going to judge them for their failure to live according to his covenant, for their failure to worship him as the one true God. We're looking here on Sharper Iron at Amos 4, verses 1 through 5. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, October 30th. We are looking at Amos 4, verses 1 through 5, with Pastor Ned Murby of Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Pastor Murby, prior to the break, we left off where the Lord swears by His holiness that what is about to happen surely will happen. So what does He say there in verses 2 and 3 that is going to happen? Well, so He he has... Well, he he confesses this certainty that these days are coming upon you. And real briefly, I want to point out that when when Amos says that these days are coming upon you, he's now switched away from feminine pronouns that fit with the cows of Bashan and, and the women of Israel. That's actually a masculine pronoun, which is one reason why I think that, that this is expanding to the whole people of Israel. Um, the 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 women are are just 
kind of the image through which the judgment of the nation is is being presented. And and, and here then, you know, the punishment that's coming on these days, um, God's talking about, you know, hooks and fish hooks dragging people, uh, you know, pulling them away. And, and this is where the language is funny because the Hebrew roots of these words um, are used with kind of slightly different forms elsewhere in Scripture. And, and so some people would think that these would better be taken to mean like cattle prods and, and maybe bridles, um, you know, ropes and either hooks through the nose or something that for leading cattle, which fits with the image that we have so far, except um, when we look at what archaeologists have found of the reliefs, these, these stone carvings of um, pictures of the Assyrians leading away the nations that they have conquered, we really we see pictures of people with hooks in them, with, with the king of the Assyrians holding the ropes attached to the the hooks, and you can just think of, I mean, that is a you're not going to try to run away from that line of exiles if that's how you're being marched out of your homeland. You know, you're not going to try to run and go hide in a cave real quick if you have hooks in your flesh tying you to the person in front of you, you know, and ultimately in the hand of, of the king who has just won, you know, the victory over your nation. And, and, and I mean, it, I don't exactly like getting shots when it's for a good reason and the needles going in and coming straight back out, you know, to have a hook in your flesh, just that imagery is gruesome and, you know, it, it kind of makes you quiver just thinking about it. But, but this is what the Lord says is going to happen, you know, not just to the women, but to all the people be, because of their, their sin. So then in verse 3, it speaks about going out through the breaches, each one straight ahead. So the, the picture there would seem as a, a single file line, which, which fits with the image of these fish hooks, as you've described, and being cast out into harm. And again, the, the details perhaps are a, a bit difficult to pin down, but generally the picture fits that, that you who treated others like animals— now are being treated in the same way, and you are being taken out, out of your home. Is that the general idea, Pastor Murphy? I think exactly, and it's easy to see. I think the ESV that you're reading for us, I think, does a very good job dealing with the uncertainties that we have here and presenting us with a picture that conveys God's judgment and the seriousness of sin. Um, you know, we think of breaches in the wall of the city, the enemy pours in, takes over the city, and, and now the people are being led out through those same breaches, you know, single file, like you said, you know, straight to where the Assyrians are deporting them, you know, no, no chance to, you know, negotiate or, or, or barter for your release at this point. And, and, and even that, you know, you, you shall be cast out into Harmon, um, Scholars debate what what Harmon is in reference to, but but a lot think that this is a reference to Mount Hermon, on the very northern edge of Israel, which marks the kind of the end of the plain of Bashan. Um, so so that fits, and and it's kind of like once you're past this point, you're 
completely out of the territory of Israel, and and now you're you know you're almost to the Euphrates and and going into the the, the kingdom of Assyria, and and, and like I said, there, there's a few questions about what exactly the picture should look like, but the message is clear. Um, the, the the punishment is coming. You're not going to get a chance to go back. Um, and and this this is God's just judgment for the sin of the people. This, this is and God isn't just swearing by His holiness. He's doing this to maintain His holiness. Because this is what he has said sin does to us, you know. So, so all those mighty acts that we think of, um, you know, they bring us joy when we're on the receiving end of them. But we also can look back and we can see the fear of the people when those events are taking place. You know, God speaks the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, where the whole nation of Israel can hear them. And they come crawling to Moses saying, you, you've got to go up on that mountain because we can't bear to hear God talk to us anymore. You know, or Isaiah in the temple hearing the angels sing, holy, 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 and Isaiah cries out, woe is me from a man of unclean lips. You know, this, is, this is God's holiness doing what God's holiness has to do because of sin. Now, now this is the, the penultimate um, judgment against sin. Uh, of course, we'll see the, the full judgment of sin in Christ on the cross. But you know, at this point, Amos hasn't drawn our eyes there yet. Um, for now, this is a serious call to repentance, warning that, that this judgment is coming. So, Pastor Murby, the, the images that we're talking about, cows of, of Bashan, breaches and walls, single-file lines in fish hooks, these, these can seem pretty distant and removed from Americans living in the 21st century. How do we, how do we take these words concerning the oppression of the poor and, and use them today? What should we understand from these for our lives as Christians? Well, um, I want to make a connection within Amos first. Because I think otherwise we've run the risk of falling off the horse on either side. Um, so if we can go back to this initial image, and I, and I know we're bouncing around, but this is part of, um, for me, the, the, trying to make the text a little more clear by looking at its context. And when these women say to their husbands, bring that we may drink, um, Amos is doing something kind of strange here. Um, literally, he, well, well, Hebrew doesn't have a word for husband. Um, for Hebrew, it's either just simply man or um, sometimes the word Lord. And, and you know, we, we're familiar with this probably most from 1 Peter 3, when, when Peter reminds wives to submit to their husbands and follow the example of Sarah, who called Abraham Lord. Um, and, and that use of of, of Lord for husband in the Old Testament is, is fairly common. As far as I am aware, it's almost always the word Baal, where, you know, the false god Baal gets his name, just simply Lord. But here, the word that, that Amos uses is, is from the word Adonai, um, which is a title more often used for, you know, like the 
the noble, you know, the lordship of, of, of the king or whoever. And, and, of course, this very often then gets applied to the Lord God himself. Um, so I, I think then the kind of the picture under the picture of the women calling to their husbands, bring that we may drink, we see the nation calling to their rulers, continue to lead our society so that we can enjoy this indulgent lifestyle that we have. Um, and, and here, Pastor Apple, please correct me if, if, if you think I'm going too far. But w- looking at that, I am reminded of what Amos has already said in chapter 2 um, in, in his judgment against Israel um, about a man and his father go into the same girl that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God. They drink the wine of those um, who have been fined. And, and here you see the three sins that are so connected in Scripture tied together, and that is idolatry, sexual immorality, and covetousness. And and. and that plays itself out in the oppression of the poor. So, so here you have, in chapter 2, the idea of the sexual immorality that, that takes place with the, the pagan influence at, at the high places in Israel, where at the same time that drunkenness and, and sexual debauchery is taking place in the temple, it's being done at the expense of the poor who have had their garments taken in pledge, you know, and and the Levitical law said that those garments should always be given back before nightfall so that the person has something to sleep in and, and isn't cold. And I think we see this, this is the same imagery then, or not the same imagery, but it's, it's the same sin that's being condemned here at the beginning of chapter 4. Um, and so the, the people have been calling out to their lords, their rulers, or the women to their husbands, saying, take care of us, give us what we want. Um, And then in the next verse, you know, it's the true Lord, the Lord God, that is Yahweh Adonai, is the one who announces their judgment. But so we have in this picture, both on the one hand, the poor being oppressed, and on the other hand, people saying, we want those with headship over us to take care of us and give us the good life. And you know, in our society today, I think we've come a long way in many ways, but there are still times in which we do not um, really look out for, you know, the poor, the needy, the oppressed among us. And, um, you know, over the last few years, I've, I've heard stories of, you know, some large cities in our country that, that have said, you can't feed the poor in public. Or, or, you know, provide food for the homeless because they don't want the homeless gathering in these places and scaring the tourists away. You know, we don't want our, we don't want our town to look shabby, so you can't provide for the needy out in the open because it makes us look bad. We, we, in other words, we just don't want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge it's there. We all know that there's poverty. We just don't want to have it look like there's poverty in in our town and you know i i think we've we've come a long way in many ways in in 
providing you know various resources for for the poor in our own communities i think we're spending a lot more attention on who it is that's making what we consume that comes from overseas you know fair trade coffee and chocolate and tea and and, and that sort of things and and i think that's good and right for us to pay attention to um but we're certainly not perfect at it yet. Um, and, and we all, in our sinful nature, can say, well, I, you know, I, I want what's right for me. I don't care what the conditions of the person who made it are. I don't care what the conditions of my neighbor are as long as I have my house the way I want it and, and can eat the way I, I, I want to. And, I mean, 21st century America is certainly a place where we are tempted towards gluttony. Um, I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but, you know, it, it, it can stoke feelings of covetousness. You, I see, oh, you know, my friend's doing this. You know, I see a picture of somebody's fancy dinner, uh, and, and, and we want that for ourselves. You know, we, we, want, we hear commercials on TV or the radio, and we think, I need that new phone. I need that nice car. You know, I need clothes that make me look that cool. It, it's just everywhere. And, and, and we all, I think, stand guilty of it at times. But then the, the other sin that, that we want to avoid is, and I think this is present in our society as well, is the sin of saying, okay, we don't want there to be poor people. And so we turn to the government and say, you need to run things so that everybody is rich. You need to take care of us so that we all have a good life, that nobody has to work too hard. Um, and, you know, t- to a certain extent, that's good. And, and, you know, I don't want to get into po- politics of, of, you know, Republican, Democrat, left, right, whatever, because I think there's room for improvement all over the place. Um, our society could certainly do better, and I think we as individuals could all do better. Um, and and I, I don't want to tell you or your listeners exactly where where you've sinned but i know in reading amos text that i'm confronted with my own sin you know my my own greed my own desire just to make sure that i'm taken care of before i think about my neighbor and whether they're taken care of and and that is the underlying sin that is causing so much trouble in israel it causes trouble in our nation today, and it causes trouble in our churches today when we ask, how do I want things, you know, what do I want done here, rather than what has the Lord given me that I can use or do in this situation to, to help others and, and provide for others. And, it, you know, Paul makes the connection that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is saying God hasn't given me enough, or if I don't work it out on my own, God won't be able to give me enough. Um, and, and, and that's what the Israelites were guilty of. And, and quite frankly, we all need to examine our lives because there, there's plenty of that sin going around today as well. It's too easy to hear a text like Amos 4 and think this doesn't apply to me. I'm not oppressing the poor. I'm not looking to get drunk all the time. That That's far too easy and not what the scriptures would have us do. The scriptures would have us examine ourselves to see where we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And, and as you pointed out, that stems from a lack of 
true love of God. The second table sins come out of the first table sins. And and you you said that with, with Paul saying that covetousness is idolatry. And that's where Amos is going to take us as well. In verses 4 and 5, he moves straight from this matter of covetousness, gluttony, oppression of the poor into matters of worship. And here the satire just grows and grows, Pastor Murphy. He, he invites the people. It, it, he's, like, he's telling them to come to church so that they can sin. That, that in yeah. their coming to church— they're not being righteous at all. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite. Uh, we've got eight minutes left on the morning still to, to look at verses four and five. Pastor Murphy, help us to, to dig into Amos's satire and sarcasm here. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try not to go too deep into the details um, because I think the application is more important. But, you know, Bethel is, um, it, it, it has a, a, a noble history. This is where Jacob, met God in, in, in the stairway going up in, into heaven, uh, you know, as he was fleeing from his brother. But then it, in the divided kingdom, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, um, the, the first king of the, the northern kingdom, Israel, establishes Bethel as a place for the Israelites, the northern kingdom, to go to worship so that they don't have to go down to Jerusalem and, and kind of as a way to cut ties with the southern kingdom um, so people don't go back to the house of David. And, and from that time on, it, it becomes a place of, of idolatry. God had said Jerusalem was the place to offer sacrifices, but, but the people are doing it in Bethel. And, and over and over again, you know, as, as you read First and Second Kings, the, the kings of, of Israel are establishing high places all over the country. And then sometimes a, a decent king will come along and, and, and tear some of them down, but they never wipe it out. And, and so Bethel is, is one of these places. Gilgal is, is probably a reference here to where the, the, the 12 tribes crossed the Jordan River and raised a monument when they first entered the Promised Land with Joshua. Um, and, and that too likely, you know, it, it has a good history, but that, that history gets corrupted and people turn it into an idol. You know, much like the bronze serpent in the wilderness was kept for, for ages until people turned it into an idol. And then was it Hezekiah that finally had to, to grind it up and get rid of it, or was that Josiah? Josiah I, does the altars. I, I, think you, I think you might be right about Hezekiah with the bronze serpent. Okay. Well, that, um, or, is, or is that what well, maybe no, one so, of our listeners um, can correct us both? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody email us if we're wrong. Yeah. Um, so... so now Amos is saying, okay, you know, these places where you've been worshiping contrary to God's Word, where, where you've been breaking the law uh, and, and doing your own thing in worship for all these generations, yeah, come, come on out. Come worship. Don't, don't just offer, you know, your sacrifice every once in a while. Offer it every morning. Bring your tithes every third day, you know, um, not, not just, you know, when, when it's harvested, not just, you know, once a week, but you know, just continually pour in your gifts at, you know, these, these places you have set up for yourself. Um, but then don't think it's going to change my mind. You know, this is what you love to do, O people of Israel. You love to make a show of your worship. You love to, to, to earn your, your salvation or, or the way that worship was probably going in Israel at this point. You love to bring your gifts here so that 
you know, either the Lord or, or the other gods that you have set up for yourself will bless your fields and make them fertile. And, you know, you're bringing a little now, so, you know, as a bargain with your false gods so that they'll give you more children, more, more, um, uh, more cattle in the fields, more, more wheat in your barns. This is what you love to do, but you're just doing it to please yourself. And, and God makes it clear, you know, through this chapter that this, this kind of worship is not going to turn away his wrath. It, it's just it's adding fuel to the fire, um, and it, it's not the worship that God desires. Even in these these matters that look very religious, and as you pointed out, you know, sacrifices every morning, ties every three days. These are matters that they're going above and beyond the call to do these things. They look so wonderfully religious. And yet, because their heart is not in the right place, these are the things that they love to do, not the things that the Lord has given or commanded. These are the things that they love to do. Because of that, all they are doing is multiplying transgression, adding one transgression upon another, even in that which looks the most religious. They are doing it without faith. And so it can't satisfy the wrath of God because there is no faith. So Pastor Murphy, we've, we've got just under four minutes left. And I know you said you want to do some, some application and, and feel free to do that as, as we wrap up this morning. But I also like just to, to, to have you to say a word or two about how this text is going to point us to Christ with about three and a half minutes left. Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do that together. Um, as we look at what does this have to say about our worship today, um, you know, are, are we worshiping God for our own self-interests? Are we coming to church just to do what we like to do? And, you know, I, I, there's a whole discussion that can be had about how do we evaluate the different things that we do in worship, you know, what setting of the divine service we use, how often do you have communion, what songs do you use, what instruments do you use. But I, I'd like to go beyond that and just ask, what is the purpose for coming to church? And, you know, if you don't say for the forgiveness of sins, you're already off track. But if you do say, I want to come for the forgiveness of sins, you're still not necessarily fully on the right track. Because I think sometimes... We, we get to the point where we're like, well, you know what? I've done wrong. I don't want to be condemned. So I'm going to go to church and, and hear a word of forgiveness. And, and, and that's good, and, and we're going in the right direction. But we're still missing the point of worship if we're saying, I'm going to go to church to get forgiven because I want to go to heaven because heaven is a better place than hell. What, what God wants for us in worship is to be with him. And, and to have a right relationship with him. And, and so the purpose of going to church is to have your sins forgiven. The, the promise of, of paradise is, is bonus to the promise of a reconciled God who has created you and redeemed you in Christ. And, and that is where our focus should be when we come to the divine service to say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. I don't deserve God's love. With his holiness, he's right to cast me out. But he has called me to this place to say that here my sins are forgiven, and here I am restored to him. 
And if we look at worship that way, then even if we have an awful week by human standards, we already have heaven in a sense. Not that we shouldn't be yearning for the life of the world to come, but but we already have the treasure of God's gracious presence with us. And, And that is the greatest treasure given to us in heaven, which will only be confirmed and made manifest when Christ comes again. And, and so often, I, I don't know about you, Pastor Apple, but I know that there are times when I get up and go to church on a Sunday morning and my mind's not fully there. And, and, and that is something that you know I, I continually need to, to repent of. But then there are times when the Lord has reminded me through the events of the week that there is absolutely no other reason that really makes church worth it other than knowing that that is where he comes and graciously meets us. And I think Amos is, is trying to get us there at, at this point. And, and, and he preaches a lot of law before he gets to the gospel. I, I think the gospel is kind of hinted at that it's coming in chapter five, but you don't really get it to the last few verses of chapter nine, the very last chapter of the book when God promises restoration for his people, those who have been uprooted will never be uprooted again, um, that, that David's tent will be fallen. So here the tribe that rejected David, or the tribes that rejected David, will, will be told that David will rule over them again. And of course, that's a promise of, of Christ's coming. Um, but for the meantime, you know, just looking at our five verses today, you, you can't point to a whole lot and say, this is the gospel of the passage. But, but I would like your, your listeners to, to hear that as long as God is still speaking to you, not all is lost. As long as God's word is still going out from his lips, even if it is a word of warning and condemnation, that means God is telling you that now is the time for repentance. You know, so th- there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a long cry for repentance before there's the promise of forgiveness and restoration in Amos. But it makes that promise so beautiful if, if we will sit there and not reject Amos and his preaching, but simply receive it as an indictment against us as well as Israel, that we have sinned, we have oppressed the poor, we have turned from God, we have not worshipped as we should, but God has not abandoned us without hope. And, and in Christ, there is always hope, and there is the promise of, of God's loving presence with us. Pastor Ned Murby is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.